0: On this episode, books, snacks, and section hiking the Pacific Crest Trail with our friend Shantae Salabert. On this, the third episode of our four-part series, Celebrating Women in the Outdoors. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast. hosts, Severia Tilden, Jeff Hester, and Jason Fitzpatrick.
1: Okay, so my burrito obsession is continued. So this time, I was on a all-day hike and I decided to try a I believe it's Amy's there it's a gluten-free Bean and cheese, super healthy, good for you. I don't know, frozen burrito. I don't know if there is such a thing as a super good for you frozen burrito. But um, I unwrapped it, put it in a little beeswax wrapping, stuck it in the lid of my backpack, knowing it was going to be an all-day hike, solid frozen frozen solid. And at lunch, I had a burrito to eat, a bean and cheese burrito. I would say it was completely thawed, not freezing cold. It was like kind of good room temperature-ish from being in the lid of my backpack all day. And I would say the gluten-free wrap was meh. Maybe okay. Probably would have been better if it was just regular tortilla.
0: I wonder if you tried maybe like putting it in the sun and letting the sun heat it up a little bit.
1: I didn't because I was too hungry. Okay. But I, I, see I was yeah. ho- kind of hoping that the lid, you know, like the top of my pack, at least it was getting some radiant heat. I was thinking I also could, probably could have put it, like into in my leg pocket on my leggings or something that could have been like weird body warmth, warming it up. <laughs> but, I, but I just, I, I was too worried it was going to like leak because I like rewrapped it in the wax paper. And I was like, Oh, that'd be really gross to have beaten cheese in my
0: pocket. <laughs> <laughs> that could be really bad. That could yeah. be it's embarrassing. embarrassing. Like t- 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 like, oh my went, gosh. Oh, Oh God, What's what?
1: going on here? <laughs> What's in her pocket?
0: I think Le- I think legend
2: would be proud of you though
0: for 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 I'm really
1: embracing it. You I- are. I yeah. like it. So.
2: Well, we look forward to the next installment in your adventures I know. in the frozen what burritos.
0: <laughs> What's next? What's the next experiment on the frozen burrito uh
1: I think I'm really, so the problem is, because it's in the morning, is I would love to do a breakfast burrito, because a lot of times, you know, when you tr- hit the trailhead, you you want that second yes, breakfast, yeah. yes. right, where you're waking up super early, but you want second breakfast, but I haven't figured out, because it can't be, it's not going to have enough time to defrost, so it can't be unfrozen, so do you just cook it before you leave, and then just hope it's going to be f- still okay? K okay. anyway. So that, like, that's the next. I think the next challenge. What if is, you
0: put it in the refrigerator the night before, so it it, it mostly thawes. thawed, okay. but did not yeah. go bad, yeah. and then it would finish itself thawing during the hike.
1: I think that's there's potential there. Yeah. The other thing I'm not sure about is you know bean and cheese, kind of lukewarm, cold, fine. Eggs, eggs yeah cold eggs I'm not I'm not sure yeah. it's gonna scream. how
2: long can eggs be at room temperature no just the taste just the oh, cr- yeah. just for me it's more the just the idea
1: of, of like yeah like cold eggs yeah <laughs> yeah isn't quite like I can get away with like cold bean and cheese well, you can eat
0: like hard boiled eggs cold yeah. or chilled so that's maybe true. maybe it's not as bad as the thought of it is that's but, true we'll
1: see I'll let yeah. you know
0: okay <laughs> so we have that to look forward to <laughs>
1: not in my pocket yeah <laughs> Today's episode is the third in our series of four amazing women for Women's History Month. Uh, We are doing four podcasts, uh, which is unusual for us. We're doing them weekly for four weeks in a row. Don't get used to this. Um, But we are excited to have Shante Salaber with us today as our third interview for Women's History Month.
2: We want to welcome to our studio Shante Salaber. She's a Los Angeles-based freelance writer interested in the connections between humans and the natural world, which sounds really cool. Her works appeared in Adventure Journal of Alpinist, Backpacker, Los Angeles Magazine, Modern Hiker, many, many, many outlets, which is awesome. And she's the author of a book that I just had her sign for me, Hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, Southern California, which is available via Mountaineers Books. Welcome to the show, Shante.
3: Thanks so much for having me, Jeff.
2: So uh, we had a few questions that we kind of put together just to get a little bit to, to know you. And I wanted to start with just like, how did you get into hiking to begin with i mean what sort of inspired you to start hiking and is it something you've always done Did it come to you later in life or how did that how did that come about
3: it's an excellent question um, so i grew up in milwaukee in a kind of rough neighborhood on the south side and um i went to the boys and girls club as a kid so i did not know about hiking had no concept what this would be until i got invited to go to summer camp when i was eight years old and it was a boys and girls club summer camp camp Wickham Mason. And when I got there, there were cabins, there were all these cute, you know, cool counselors, you know, college kids, which I thought were amazing. I wanted to be them. Uh, There were trails, there was a forest, a lake, all this stuff that I didn't see growing up in my neighborhood. Um, And through those experiences at summer camp, I basically got scholarships to go back every summer. Uh, My mom was a single mom, had very limited income. So... Those scholarships basically allowed me to sort of develop that relationship with the outdoors. Um, But that was only once or twice a summer if I was lucky. And so after those sort of initial experiences at camp, I would ask my mom to go to the local parks. Uh, Milwaukee is lucky to have an amazing county park system, very green city, um, as opposed to LA, which I think lacks in that department. Um, and so we would go to the parks and in my mind, I was hiking, you know, I would do like we did at summer camp and I'd walk down the roads and, you know, the sidewalks and the little paved and sometimes unpaved trails. And that was my first experience of hiking. And it's something that even though it was in the middle of the city, it sort of provided this sense of solace, this sense of belonging, um, and just this feeling that this was a place for me, even if it wasn't, you know, the deep woods, that relationship wouldn't get developed like backpacking and all that until i was much older but those were sort of my formative experiences outside
2: you tell us a little bit about how you got into hiking and developed a love for the outdoors what brought you out west and how did you end up here in la (laughs)
3: Oh, that's a long story, but I will try to condense it. Um, So basically, I grew up in Wisconsin. I went to college and then grad school to be a school social worker. Um, I did want to be a park ranger when I was a kid, but I signed up for the wrong major in college. I signed up for a forestry major, which is not exactly being a park ranger. It's more about how to uh, manage forests for all the paper mills that were in Wisconsin. Um, So I ended up going into school social work, and it was, for me, kind of a way of giving back all the things that, you know, the people at the club and school that had helped me during some rough times in life. Um, And so I moved to Charleston, South Carolina, just kind of on a whim. Um, I had a good friend from college, from summer camp, that uh, was down there in AmeriCorps, and she invited me to come visit when I was still in school. And I was like, South Carolina, who goes there? And uh, I'm embarrassed that I even thought that, because South Carolina is amazing. And I ended up moving there, and I lived there for five years. Um, I was a school social worker, and then I was a freelance journalist, actually, down there. I wrote for an alt-weekly, mostly about arts and entertainment, music, things like that. I was also working for a photographer there. They ended up moving back to Venice, California, where they originally were from, and they invited me to come along. Like, oh, you'll still have a job if you want to come with us. I was like, LA, like who would move to LA? Gross, I'm going to New York. Um, So I went to New York City and uh, I thought I would um, write the great American novel. That did not happen. (laughs) As it turns out, you need money to live in New York, so I had to get a job. but I eventually wound my way to California because I lost the job I had in New York because they ran out of money. So they lost funding, all of us were out of work. It was December in New York um, and the photographer I happened to work for in Charleston was in town when I lost my job. And he's like, so, wanna come to California? (laughs) I said, I guess maybe for a year or something like that. We'll see. So I was doing odd jobs to get ready to move, um, finding things on Craigslist, and I um, ended up connecting with a woman who was a musician about to tour Europe and told her I might go to LA for a bit and I needed to figure out my work situation. She said, well, my manager lives there and I think he's looking for help in his music licensing business. Um, Here's his information if you want to give him a call. Uh, So I ended up calling or emailing that guy, met him the first full day I lived in LA, um, and he offered me a job that day. I've worked with him now for 13 years. I worked in his office full time for 10 years. Um, So I still do some consulting, but that is what brought me to LA. What kept me here was access to the outdoors. Um, It was, I never thought I would have stayed in LA. Like I did not like the city the first year or two I lived here, Um, but I started to fall in love with the local mountains.
2: Yeah, that, I think that's something that a lot of people don't really realize about Southern California is that there's amazing outdoor opportunities, whether you're talking about, you know, all the beaches and the ocean the waterways, the mountains, the deserts. It just goes on. So uh, and a lot of people don't realize that.
1: Yeah. People ask me all the time, like, how do you live in Los Angeles? You're so outdoorsy. Like, how do you survive there? I'm like, well, actually, there's too much outdoor stuff to do like there's not a lack of outdoor stuff and I had a friend um, visiting from the east coast this weekend and she just was bringing up the point she was it's such a livable city in that way like you can live outdoors just our weather our climate so even though even when you're in the city you can still live outside um even if you can't always get to the mountains there's you just it is actually very outdoors and very welcoming in that way
3: yeah, it's funny. I actually got asked that question today—one of the millions of times I also get asked that question. Um, but yeah, I mean, LA, as it turns out, has this incredible outdoor access. I don't need to tell all of you—you you know this. Um, but I think people are shocked because they have this image from, you know, film, TV, tabloids, whatever, of what they think LA is. And I certainly didn't really understand LA until I'd lived here for a few years. And I was like, okay, there's everything here. You have community. You have access to resources. You have arts and culture. And then you. You have local mountains, you have like Griffith Park, you have the ocean, you have national parks within a few hours drive. And it just like the potential for what I could experience here sort of suddenly blew up in my mind. I was like, wait a minute, how did I land here 13 years ago with rent control? (laughs) That's the only reason I could stay here now. But um, yeah, I feel very lucky that I landed here in the end.
1: Do you have a defining experience in Los Angeles that sort of made you realize what it had to offer from an outdoor perspective?
3: That's a great question. I think for me, it was really digging into Griffith Park after the station fire. So the station fire was, what was that, 2007 or 2009, somewhere in there. Um, And that burnt a huge, a significant portion of the San Gabriel Mountains. You probably remember the forest was closed for like an entire year. Um, and I, that had been my go-to for starting to sort of get deeper into hiking and, and get into the mountains a bit. So I needed something to sort of replace that, and I was like, well you have this huge city park right in your backyard, you should get out there more. And I remember like, I would go on sunrise hikes in the park and start just right at dawn and watch the sunrise over the city from kind of up by the um, observatory. And I remember those experiences and the quiet that I found in the park that's pretty shocking for a city this size um, was something that I'll always remember. And it's something that really helped me realize that you can find that connection to the outdoors in a big city like L.A. if you just look for it.
0: So how, how did you get into like outdoor writing in, in general specifically? How did, what made you decide to want to do that? And, and like once you started, how did you get, you know, all these different publications and whatever to read your work and, and hire you?
3: Yeah. You know, I, as a kid, always wanted to be a writer. I would write books in quotes, books like murder mysteries for my mom. Um, I would make fake magazines. I would write short stories. Um, But I never really thought that it was a job you could have. I didn't think it was a lucrative job, and it isn't. Um, (laughs) um, But I really didn't know how to make a career out of writing. So I thought, oh, I need something practical, something where I sit at a desk, you know, that's practical, right? Um, And I'm, I'm glad that I kind of steered off of that path because that experience writing for an all weekly in Charleston just as a part-time thing um, showed me that okay this is a thing I can do people keep giving me assignments this editor wants to work with me that's weird I have no formal training in this Um, but I kind of let that idea die when I moved here Um, I was working in the music industry so I didn't want to write about music anymore Um, but I started keeping kind of a private blog that was just documenting my hikes around L.A. Actually, it was called What Would Ed Do? Named for Ed Visters, <laughs> because my favorite maxim in the outdoors is getting to the top is optional. Getting down is mandatory. Um, and I kept this blog just to document all the ridiculous things that I had done outdoors, all the meaningful moments I was having, and just sort of my journey becoming, you know, quote, an outdoors person in a deeper sense, um, but in L.A. And from that, you know, that was kind of a side project. And then I ended up, you know, some years later, my friend Casey Schreiner runs a website called Modern Hiker. Um, He's also written a couple books now. He's amazing. But he was running Modern Hiker as just a personal project. It was his own website. Um, And one day he's like, you know, Shantae, you love to write. I enjoy your writing. Do you want to write for Modern Hiker? I was like, yeah, why not? Sure. So I started doing that. At the same time, my friend Brooke and I um, launched a year-long project called Year of the Scout. Um, she found a 1947 Girl Scout handbook, and we decided to spend a whole year trying to earn some of the badges inside, um, and we documented it on a different blog also called Year of the Scout. Um, and unbeknownst to me, Casey had passed my information. I think he sent the Year of the Scout blog and maybe my What Would Ed stuff uh, over to Mountaineers Books. They were looking for somebody to write a Southern California Pacific Crest Trail Guide, part of a series. And I didn't find out about that until six months later when they decided to reach out to me. Um, And I was excited, I was nervous, I decided to send in a proposal thinking there's no way in the world these people would ever let me write a book because I had no track history. Like for me growing up, I was very practical, I grew up you know, with a single mom that didn't have a lot of resources, like I said. And so in my mind, like you don't just take off and write a book and go hike for a couple months. That doesn't seem practical, even though I wanted to do it. Um, so when they came back to me and said, hey, we liked your proposal, we want you to write this book. I was like, oh no. <laughs> what am I going to do? I have a full-time job that I love very much. Um, Although it's not the job that I thought I was meant for. It was just a job I happened into that ended up being a pretty cool job. Um, But I talked to my boss and he's like, I support you, just see what happens. So I would take off for three to four day weekends, you know, do some field work for the book. And then one summer I took two months off, took a sabbatical, hiked um, the San Bernardino Mountains, part of the San Gabriels, and then the Sierra portion of the PCT. And one night in the Sierra, I was sitting outside my tent, staring at the sky, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. What are you doing? You have this incredible opportunity. You're writing a book about the Pacific Crest Trail. You've always wanted to be a writer. Now is your opportunity. And I, I made a decision that night that when I got back, I would give notice at my job and I would figure out if this was possible as a career. And, um, and I did just that. And it's a much more complicated story, of course, how that all happened, but... You know, that's the broad strokes of how I came to that decision.
0: That's so cool. So, I mean, why don't we kind of shift over to that, like the Pacific Crest Trail? Um, Do you have like favorite stretches of it? Had you done any of it even like other than maybe some of the local stretches around LA before you went to like write the guidebook?
3: You know, I had, I, my friend Colby Kirk had hiked a big chunk of it, maybe the year or two before I got this. I mean, maybe it was just the year before I got the book deal. Um, And I remember reaching out to Colby and telling him I was so excited because I I had always wanted to hike this trail. And I remember being really inspired by him getting out there and kind of doing it on his own terms. Colby likes to take pictures of tiny things and slow and draw, draw in these beautiful journals um, and just is embodying the spirit of hike your own hike Um, and you know I had been getting out there and hiking my own hike just doing a couple days here and there some backpacking trips day hikes but I never conceived of this idea of just taking a bigger chunk of time like this Uh, so it was super exciting for me because this trail had been a part of my life for at least a number of years before that And, uh, you know, like I said, I had Colby, I had several other friends that had spent time on the trail or even hiked the whole thing. And um, even though I knew I couldn't just quit my job immediately and go hike this thing, it was so exciting for me to be able to spend time getting to know the trail. Um, It's funny now, sometimes people will say... You know, when I do presentations or something, they'll say, oh, Shantae is an expert on the PCT. And I don't love that phrasing. I like to say that I'm a student of the trail. Yes, I wrote a book about a big chunk of it, but um, I like to think that I continue to learn from it. It's a great teacher in a lot of ways.
2: So did when you were doing those hikes for on the PCT, you know, did you do some of them solo? Did you do them with friends? Do you have a preference for one over the other? What, What were your what was your experience like?
3: Well, um, that's a great question. I get asked that a lot, especially doing presentations. Women especially want to know about that because um, there is a stigma around sort of hiking alone, backpacking alone, um, especially if you're a woman. Um, I did a mixture. So when I would go out for long weekends, um, overnights, things like that, I would invite friends. Uh, partially it was just for logistical purposes because then I could do a longer section and we could do a car shuttle, but it also became this incredible way to sort of spend quality time with people and deepen my relationships with people. And, I am so forever grateful for that. Um, you'll see people throughout my book that are just either friends that came outside with me or people I met along the trail. Uh, there's a woman I met when I was in the Sierra and um, we kind of like leapfrogged each other a bit. And during like a super rainy, say so it was the monsoon was happening. The weather was gnarly. And um Just remember, she had this bright pink rain jacket on and we kept leapfrogging each other and we're kind of like, you know, minding our own business. And then I turned the corner at some point. I'd been hiking by myself and I turned the corner and all of a sudden there's a bear right there, like high fiving distance. And I just look at it and I go, "Hey, bear!" And the bear looks at me, and it's probably thinking, "Holy crap!" Um, bear takes off. I sit there for a moment, and then I take off, um, and I get to the Woods Creek Bridge, which is this great sort of suspension bridge, you know, on the PCT JMT. And uh, I decide to have lunch there and kind of bring my heartbeat back down to normal. And this woman comes up and she just asks flat out if she can have lunch with me. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Humans, humans are great (laughs) because I had been hiking alone. I did that um, whole segment in the Sierra by myself or I started by myself and I was nervous. I had never backpacked by myself before. Um, I'd done plenty of day hikes and long day hikes, too, but not overnights. So when my friend Mark dropped me off at the trailhead, um, he camped the first night with me. And the next morning he walked back to his car. And I remember just slow waving it him like so freaked out like goodbye world (laughs) And and it's the southern sierra it's a very quiet section of the trail there's not a lot of traffic there outside of the hikers during the through hiking season and occasional you know peak baggers um so it felt very alone. Uh, but I, I found that I loved doing both, like making like making friends with this woman, Catwalk uh, Kat was her trail name. Um, she was finishing up a three-summer sort of section hike at the JMT, so we got to hike for about six days together. She is now one of my best friends. I just spent the weekend with her for her birthday, visiting with her family and her adorable teenage kids and her lovely husband. Um, but yeah, the trail has a way of sort of deepening relationships. So either ones that are brand new, you know, you guys probably... We all know that you're out there and you're kind of experiencing these hardships I mean you know you know exactly what this like what this is like Jason from just being on the on the JMT and especially I think you were out there in like a high water year right
0: oh yeah no and, and snow the water was you know an occasional thing because you'd have an occasional creek crossing um, but the snow like going over all the passes, when we started, it was barely over 9,000 feet at the snow level, and that trail's like above 9,000 feet for almost the whole trail. So yeah, no, Dev, but you definitely build, um, you definitely build like really strong friendships and relationships out there more so than like in, in the real world. Plus, you're more open, I think, to meeting people. Have you found that?
3: Oh, yeah, you are. I The first day, Kat and I, the first full day we hiked together, we camped at the bridge that night. Um, we had a great time. Started hiking the next morning, and within, I'd say, like two hours, we were pouring our hearts to each other pouring out our hearts um, and crying. And it was amazing. I was just sitting there like, I think we're going to be friends for life. <laughs> That's just what happens. Sometimes you're in this raw, vulnerable place, I think. Um, but you're also accomplishing things together. You're kind of, you know, going through these these hardships or whatnot. But there's also something to be said for being out there alone. I, I don't know about all of you. Um, I'd be curious about your take on it. But I think there's something really special too about getting outside on your own and having that time to just be quiet and be with yourself. Um, I think of it as sort of of a walking meditation a lot of the times.
0: I find it like... I, th- I like it for about three days and then I start running into people on the trail and driving them and saying, hi, how are you? And being like super over-friendly weird guy because you just, after a few days, you do kind of get hit the point where you're in your head enough and you're lonely and you forget how to talk to people. So I usually try to do at least one or two, one or two night ones on my own just to go up and, you know, take pictures and that kind of thing. I mean.
1: Yeah, I like it for about like 30 minutes and then <laughs> I get really in my head. So I have yet, I mean, I have yet to do like a overnight by myself at all just because I get, super in my head. So I'm much more social being. And for me, the pleasure kind of comes in sharing the experience. Um, even if it's with somebody, we're not talking, that's totally fine. Um, but yeah, yeah, about 30 minutes. Yeah. Local trip.
2: Yeah. Most of the solo trips I've done, most of the trips I've done are with other people, friends or my wife or whoever. And so, uh, I've done solo trips, but they've been shorter ones and they are really nice. You know, it is a chance to just kind of you know zen out a little bit you know and and uh, be with yourself and unplug and it, it's a it's a nice way to recharge on in small doses though i, I can only take so much of myself you know <laughs> <laughs>
3: that's fair i mean i would I, but i will say i would not have the career i have right now if i had not spent significant time alone in the sierra that summer it was just i think having that space just cleared the cobwebs out and all of a sudden it was just super obvious like okay who when in the world does a book publisher reach out to you and say, hey, want to write a book? Like, that doesn't happen. And then do you want to write a book about this really cool thing that you've kind of been dreaming about for a while? That doesn't happen. And it was just this, I think, because everything is stripped away out there, it was just this deep clarity. And I was like, I know what I want in the world. I know what I need in my heart and all this stuff. It just cleared the air and helped me see things a little more clearly. So um, I, I think I have, I'm a little, I'm like one of those introverts that can masquerade as an extrovert. So I love alone time. I love alone time. I'm good for at least a couple days, if not more.
0: I think the other thing I noticed early on when I started backpacking was like, if I waited for other people, there was no way I was going to get to see all the places I wanted to see, even just in the Sierra. Cause I mean, they are so convenient and close to us. I'm like, Oh, I want to, you look at a map and you're like, I want to go to like all these places. And if I wait for people, other people, I won't see all those places. So, you know, even in a long period of time, you're like, that's a, there's a lot of places up there. I mean, it's such an amazing resource that we have living here in Los Angeles.
3: Well, it's true, but I also think, and Severia knows this about me, there's also something really special about one. Once you have these experiences, like sharing it with other people. Um, so I met Severia years ago when I was a student in the wilderness travel course, which is a 10 week kind of outdoor skills class that the Angeles chapter of the Sierra Club um, puts on here in Southern California every year. Um, and so she was an instructor. I went on one of her trips. Um, I immediately had... <laughs> Choya cactus. No, I had pencil ca- pencil choya in the bottom of my boot. Then after we got that out, like not five minutes later, I had a giant wad of teddy bear choya in my calf. Um, but I still decided that I loved this experience. I wanted to be Severia. Um, Severia, for some <laughs> reason, was like, "I'll be friends with her," I guess. Um, and uh, and I ended up becoming an instructor for the class too. And. You know, we actually led a trip together this summer and uh, we've done it for the last two or three summers now. And I love having these experiences in places like the Sierra or the desert, whatnot, and then being able to share them with other people, because some things I don't love to do on my own. Like, I don't want to go do off trail, like third class stuff on my own, but... I will do that. If I'm taking other people out, it's like this weird sort of, you know, makes you feel if if I'm taking other people out, I've got to just have my head in the right place for it. Totally can do this. Will I do it on my own? Nope. But love doing it with other people.
2: What are your uh, adventure goals coming up?
3: Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. All right. Well, um, this feels like an adventure. So I'm starting to toy around with a memoir. A non-traditional memoir. Um, That feels very adventurous for me because it's scary (laughs) Um, and unknown. Uh, But, you know, I actually have a surprisingly blank slate this year, and it's kind of exciting because I feel like ever since I took on this book project, you know, however many years ago it was, I have been in that world of just constantly having a big project and always having my time sort of scheduled for myself. And this is the first time where I haven't overscheduled myself and it feels really good. Like it suddenly feels like there's all these possibilities. I mean, I've played around with, uh, hiking the Hayduke. Um, well it's like half hiking, half scrambling. Um, doing the ozark highlands trail these are two things i'd considered last year and then i had been beset with this horrible plantar fasciitis for the entire year and then i also found out uh, that some of my other foot pain was from degenerative arthritis which was a real bummer um but so i kind of shelved those ideas so i'm like reconsidering them Um, i'd love to go back to wisconsin and hike the ice age trail Uh, that's a little bit more of a time commitment um But yeah, I think what's more exciting right now is actually not having specific plans and just being open to what's next. And that's not something I normally do. I'm a planner. I love planning. I love knowing that something's happening because that kind of drives me. But it's kind of exciting to think about that in a sort of more nebulous way of like, What's exciting is not knowing. (laughs) Ha (laughs) ha ha. You mentioned that you were surprised that that they just reached
1: out to you to write the book. And I don't think it's surprising because having read your writing, you have a phenomenal voice. And it's funny and it's clever and you have a really great outlook on things and you can actually... Put it into words versus most people are just like you know I don't know it's not dry so I love your style of writing so I would just say like what other kinds of things you're writing and like what what things do you like to write I mean obviously the guidebook is a very specific thing um, but in your voice and. Going after things. What are things that you enjoy writing about aside from that?
3: You're so nice. I did not pay her to say that. No, nope, but it's true. <laughs> um, that was that was pure. So thank you, first of all. That was really kind of you. Ah, um, oh, there's so many things I love to write about. I think that's one of the the things that keeps me pursuing this career is that it's not easy. This is not an easy thing to do. So it's very difficult to, um, get paid enough to make a living. It's difficult to get paid on time or in any sort of timely fashion. Uh, as a freelancer, you're kind of constantly chasing things. There's feast, there's famine. Um, you'll get a bunch of work at once and then no work for a while and you freak out. Um, but what keeps me coming back are the stories and, so I do love writing humorous things, um, and that's probably the tone that the memoir-ish project will take. Um, but I also, you know, the big thing that I love are is being able to sort of share stories that maybe I didn't get to read as a kid. Um, things that maybe weren't represented traditionally in outdoor media. Um, I think we're at a time where this is happening a lot and happening fast. Um, but I think it's also a time where we're recognizing that there's so many ways to be outdoors, um, that many people have been outdoors for a long time and it just wasn't called that. So it's exciting for me to sort of dig into how people connect with the outdoors, both in the present and historically, um, and just tell stories that I would have loved to have read as a kid, like stories about women doing amazing things outside that would have inspired me to maybe, you know, pursue things when I was younger instead of being scared of them. Um, Things like that. It just, it it keeps me going. It stokes my fire. You know, not everything I write is going to hit that kind of nerve. Sometimes you're just writing to get the bills paid. Um, but yeah, when it's good, that's what it is. It's really good. No,
0: you know, one thing I read of yours recently that I really love, cause I always love lists and stuff is you wrote, uh, outside magazines, like the newest, most updated thing of what to read. And I think you put some Barry Lopez and I'm going through kind of a Barry Lopez Thing now, so I was pretty excited to see that. But what are some of the books that you would recommend to people?
3: Oh gosh, that's great! Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed that. That was one of those things. It was called the um, Contemporary Adventure Canon, and they do something like that every few years, where they kind of compile like these are the books you have to read. And historically, it's been what you might assume. So it'll be like Into Thin Air and contiki and things like that are these sort of tropes of adventure that many of us have read and a lot of people do enjoy. but it's been at the expense of sort of other kinds of narratives. Um, so with this one, my editor and I worked together, Erin um, Berger, she's amazing. Uh, she was the culture editor at the time. And we talked about sort of what direction we want to take this list in. And it was all about sort of what is relevant to us now. So there's a lot of things in there about climate. Um, there are things about wildfires. There are books that uh, I really wanted to make sure to include books from an indigenous perspective, because I think that's sorely lacking. But there's a whole history of indigenous people writing about the out, you know, the out Outdoors again in quotes, but the environment, nature, the more than human world. Um, so like Robin Kimmerer's braiding sweetgrass was one of those that I really wanted to get in there. And I'm just, I think it's such a, the way she talks about, um, the natural world, um, as she calls it, the more than human world is really beautiful. And it's, there's a lot of lessons we can learn from sort of studying, uh, traditional ways of being with the outdoors. Um, rather than always seeing it through this, you know, like I know one of the books on there was the Alex Honnold book. And I didn't want to put that one on there, if I'm being honest, Um, no offense to Alex or, you know, the writer, but um, that was something that was a thing that was now, it was the thing that people are talking about this idea of risk and fear. And, you know, and he was the example used, but I also think there are other ways to talk about um, how we are in the outdoors. So that was, that was something very important to me to get on that list.
1: Were there any books, because obviously when you have a list, you have a limit to what you can put on there. Were there any books that you wish had been on there or are there any other books that Maybe, I know you probably don't remember every oh, single man. book on that list. You know,
3: but. it's hard. That, that list was culled down. There was a pretty big list that it came from that was sourced from my ideas and then all the other editors there. And it was massive. And it was hard to cull it down, but we really wanted to laser focus, especially on things that maybe hadn't been given a lot of eyes before um, and sort of maybe bring a new audience to some of the books. Um, I just know, I know that one book I wish had been written by the time the the list came out was uh, Rahwa Haley is doing um, a book a memoir of sorts she wrote this incredible piece um, two incredible pieces one was for. Buzzfeed And it was called something like What I Carry. It was about her uh, Appalachian Trail hike. And she basically carried books by Black authors and then would leave them in the shelters along the way. Um, And she wrote a beautiful essay about that. And then she wrote another incredible essay for Outside um, right around that same time. And I think that's based on both of those pieces, which are beautiful, incredible writing. She got this book deal. And I cannot wait. I think she's still finishing it right now. And I'm like, just hurry up. I just can't wait because I know I'm going to love it. I love her writing. And. And uh, and I'm very excited to see what she comes up with.
0: Was there one specific like book or article or, or a magazine that really ins- like like spoke to you in a way that made you want to try to do this as a career?
3: You know, I was a huge fan of the Nancy Drew books as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> so I always wanted to write mystery novels when I was a kid. But, um, you know, I think, honestly, it was more of on one hand, as a writer and as other creative folks, you might just feel this too, but you're just like, for me, I'm just sort of compelled. I love writing. I love the art of it. I love the struggle of it. I love, um, sometimes telling my stories, but more often than not telling other people's stories, because it's really hard to look at yourself and, and, digest all of that and sort of distill it for other people. But, um, you know, more, more often than not, it's, I'm motivated by a lack of what's out there, kind of what I was talking about earlier. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of great books that I've read and continue to read. I just finished Ronan Farrow's Catch or Kill, which just, um, but, uh, not at all an outdoor book, but you know, a rage inducing book if you're into that sort of thing. (laughs)
2: Uh, Shifting gears. So uh, to kind of wrap up, I was thinking, what advice do you have for somebody who is looking to kind of get outside of their comfort zone? Because it seems like that's what you've done. And you've done a great job of inspiring others to do that. But what would you do say to somebody who wants to, you know, just step out a little bit further?
3: That's a great question. Somebody who wants to step outside of their comfort zone. I mean, I certainly have done that a lot. Um, I think... I think about it a lot as if, all right, what, what can I lose? You know, sometimes it's a, it's weighing the possible outcomes and you can overthink this stuff, but you can think about, okay, what do I lose if I do this? What do I lose if I don't do this? Um, what are the possibilities? I think that when confronted with our comfort zones and like what it feels like to push outside of them, if there's a way to sort of shift your gears from maybe fear or uncertainty toward curiosity, Um, That helps me a lot. I think about what if, what could be, what are the possibilities? Um, When I look at a map, what are the possibilities of this map if I decide to step off of a trail and go cross country in the Alpine? Um, What could happen if I decide to get in my car and go on a road trip to Utah or something like that? Um, You know, it's all about wondering what's what's possible. I actually just interviewed a woman the other day uh, named Shruti Lap, and she and her husband travel in a Westie, kind of living the overlanding van life life. and they, they have a blog and website and all that called Holiday at S E E And it's after a C.S. Lewis quote about sort of this kid playing in the mud. And, and the parents are like, we, we could go and hang out in the ocean and do all this other stuff. And the kid's just so fixated on the mud because it's the closest thing. Um, and, and so it's all about sort of looking beyond that and not settling just for what's in front of you, but being curious about the possibilities of what may be.
2: Great, I like that. Yeah, <laughs> um, I guess since we have you here,
0: uh, do you have like other adventures or different types of adventure that you have not experienced that you you want to try in the future?
3: Oh, that's a cool question. So I'll tell you about one thing I started doing this year. Um, I actually got into trail running in the spring. Um, I was at a very low point. Uh, My uncle had died at the top of the year um, of a very fast moving cancer. And it was really hard for me because he was basically my dad growing up. Um, I lived around the corner for him and I was there all the time. Um, so that was hard. And then two friends of mine within a two-week period decided to take their own lives um, after that. So it was a very dark, bleak period. And I found myself sort of searching um, and not wanting to wallow too long. I mean, I wallowed. Trust me. <laughs> I wallowed. Um, but I realized I had not been getting outside. I had not been taking care of myself in my grief, um, and I was sort of searching for a way to do that. So I was talking with an editor of mine, um, Hillary Oliver. Uh, I was writing a piece for Outdoor Research's blog, um, and I had said to her, I was like, you know, I just saw that you ran a 50-mile race. That's so cool. I could never do something like that. That sounds horrible. Um, and she's like, oh, gosh, you know, trail running, you walk half of it anyway. You hike the uphills. I was like, ha, ha, ha. Still, that's amazing. Like, good for you. And I said to her, I'm like, I really want to figure out something to do for myself this year. I have no goals. It's a weird feeling. You know, I'm so used to having this, like, goal-oriented mindset. Um, I don't know, but I want to push myself. I need to kind of get out of this emotional rut I'm in. And I think being physical will help. And she kind of almost maybe offhandedly just said, oh, well, you know, a friend and I are thinking about running the Teton Crest at the end of the summer. It's like 40 miles in a day if you want to do it. And I'm like, yeah, I don't run at all. But um, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> um, as it turns out, it's a great idea for next summer. Um, but <laughs> but what it ended up, I, I honestly, I, I after that exchange, I got shoes. I found a free calendar online, like going from couch to marathon. How does one do this foreign thing? Um, and I started going to Griffith park, the source of so much happiness for me, um, and running and I would run for 30 seconds and walk for two minutes. And then I would run for a minute and walk for a minute. And it suddenly I was running for three miles. And then a friend and I signed up for a trail race, just a five K just to sort of get me in that spirit of staying on top of this goal. And we accidentally run, the the 10k course so I discovered I could run six miles Um, and then I just kept pushing it and toward the end of the summer uh, a different friend and I went up to Cottonwood Lakes um, up in the Sierra and decided to run around the basin there it was 13 miles uh, so a half marathon Um, it was really hard and really amazing and I remember thinking we both had a conversation afterwards because she was going to run the Teton Crest with me and we're like we're not ready for that yet but This is incredible. What a life-changing experience it's been running. I love hiking. I love backpacking. I like moving at the speed of my slowness. Um, But there's something that I love. I feel so feral and just alive when I run on trails. Um, I never liked running on pavement. I ran one 5k once in the city and that was it. But um, yeah, so that's been uh, this new thing that's brought me joy outside and uh, has been really good for my mental health as well as my physical health. Um, So we'll see what happens next year with that. I'm still toying around with this idea of running the Teton Crest and I just need to figure out how I can carry enough snacks to get through 40 miles. Snacks are important.
0: So just because you said the word snacks, now we have to talk about snacks. Oh
3: my gosh, I love talking about
0: food. (laughs) What are your favorite snacks? Like, what do you do, what is your food situation when you're on the trail?
3: Is an enchilada a snack? (laughs) Okay, um, barring enchiladas, although I did learn a really excellent backcountry enchilada recipe from the Dirty Gourmet Cookbook, um, which is a great cookbook. Oh my gosh, okay, so I cannot live without refried beans i discovered i think it's honeywell is the brand but it's one of those prepper brands for the people who have you know sort of like basements built into the ground and lots of things stored in them um and also backpackers so i remember god bless them right i mean they're (laughs) crazy but god bless them
0: for all the the good food we get (sighs) you know
3: thank you thank you very much preppers um so yeah, I, uh, the, that summer I had spent the two months on trail. I was trying to figure out what in the world to eat every day. And then actually the next summer I was on the Colorado trail. Um, so I had perfected my tortilla recipe, but I have a dehydrator at home. So watch out. I will dehydrate anything that can be dehydrated. Um, and I'll make like burrito bowls and pastas and Indian dishes. And I love making, um, Ethiopian food, things like that. But yeah, refried beans is a home run for me. I got sick of oatmeal. I got sick of penalty potatoes, AKA mashed potatoes, but I never, ever, ever got sick of refried beans. Um, so refried beans. And then as far as like a treat, Swedish fish, that is my go-to. I, they're heavy, but it is worth the weight for the joy. I feel every time I bite into one of those things.
0: Now, do you buy flakes and then rehydrate them or do you dehydrate the, like, do you fry them? How do you, how do you like eat these refried beans?
3: I like that really want to dig into this This I do very very fascinated into
0: this into this
3: all right refried beans you know so I do buy the giant tins of the flakes and it's the Honeywell brand they are delightful although I have tried um, you can get some at Super King which is kind of a local market here Um, there's Isidore refried beans if I'm going just on a one-night trip because those ones are not dried and you could just I'll make uh, like bean delight That's what I call it in my head, um, which is basically cheese, beans, taco seasoning, and then a burrito. Um, I use corn tortillas because I'm one of those sad people who can't have the gluten's, but um, but yeah, I I love them. They like beans. You don't want to camp next to me after I've had the beans. Altitudes are real, um, and uh, but it just it gives me energy, man.
0: Have you tried the black bean flakes from Packet Gourmet?
3: have not. I'm really are, a pinto bean person. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Those, those
0: are my kind of we had those on the Wonderland trail. Those, yeah, are one of my those, are, those are pretty good. And I basically do the same thing just with those water, like some cheese and then some like, like taco it's seasoning. so dreamy, right? isn't it? It's really it? good. I mean, come Very on, satisfying. Man.
3: Uh, I, you know, uh, the Muir Trail Ranch buckets at, uh, I always, when I think about food, my mind just goes to them because I remember rolling in there after being on the trail for like a month or a month and a half or something and I got, you know, you get sick of your food after a while when you're out there. You you guys understand. Um, and not that I got, like I said, never got sick of the beans, but I rolled in there. It was like no more oatmeal, no more potatoes, whatnot, and looked through the buckets and this, uh, kid I was hiking with MacGyver, he found, uh, tortillas, canned chicken and a can opener, um, craft singles that had been laying in the sun, just sort of warming (laughs) and then tapatio. And so, you know what we did with that? We made the best like hiker trash quesadillas that I've ever had in my life so that also goes down in the history books as one of my best trail meals. Can't believe you didn't we're, ask me about been, poop. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I who feel doesn't like poop love and talking blisters about poop. are
0: so covered in yeah, this why kind have we of not thing. Like, you know, know what I mean? I don't, I don't know that we need to go there. <laughs> unless, unless you really you have, have something to add to the conversation that's, that, uh, that we yeah. always have to have. A I do. You do you really?
3: Yes, because every time I say this to people, they're like, I never thought of that. Wow. Okay, don't pre-dig your holes. If you get poop anxiety, mm-hmm. go out there, find a nice spot, great view, settle in, make sure you can dig afterwards. And then just relax into it, dig your hole afterwards, use a sticker or rock to fling it in, clean up. It it has reduced my poo anxiety so much on the trail to not pre-dig my holes. And I have had some incredible poos since making that decision in my life. Especially with all the beans. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Ra- lots so, fiber so it's, happening like, it's like an,
2: an aiming stress? Is that the
0: problem? I don't like having <laughs> yeah. an aim, man. You know, I want to just be
3: freeform out there. There's enough structure in my Freestyle. life already. I just, you know, I like to just go with the flow, as it were.
0: Well, since Shantae drove all the way across town to come here, she is joining us for our trail lead segment today. Shantae, what do we have on the menu for tonight?
3: Well, it's an exciting array of mountain house chicken fried rice with vegetables, trail forks pizza casserole, hello, and O'Meals turkey chili with beans. Nothing like eating backpacking food in the city. I have done it before many times.
0: So, uh, Severia, what are the uh, preparations for these three? This one hasn't it. The O'Meals has kind of a, an interesting dif- difference from the others.
1: Yeah, I'm super intrigued by this whole O'Meal one because it's. Uh, self-heating and already fully cooked it's a little heavy don't know if i would want it on a backpack but i'm very intrigued the bag has a steam vent so i'm excited to see how this plays out
3: i actually saw those at outdoor retailer maybe a year or two ago maybe two or three years ago it all blends together um and they were it kind of reminded me of mres a little bit but whatever i tried at or was really tasty so i'm very curious
1: is it worth the weight that's dun, the question dun, Or the, and literally the weight like heavy weight
0: Well, I think the idea would be if you went without a stove. So if you weren't like a caffeine or hot beverage addict, then you're saving the weight of a stove and and a fuel canister, which now those are pretty light. So and obviously because I could never live without coffee and I don't want cold coffee when it's cold outside, that's probably not a good option. But I am very curious to taste it. All right, let's start cooking.
2: So, while well, that's cooking, I'm looking at the pizza casserole from Trail Fork. And the first instruction we've already got a fail on because it says empty contents <laughs> of package into separate bowl or mug. And we have no bowls or mug. So, what I'm kind gonna, of backpacker are you? I, well, <laughs> urban. <laughs> so, I'm used to the ones where you just pour the water into the pack. This is apparently not one of those kind. So, I'm going to go get a bowl okay. and we'll get that going
1: all right so i opened the turkey chili with beans oatmeal package in the bag is a like silver bag that has all the food in it which kind of reminds me of those indian meals that you can get at the grocery store and then there is a heating element pouch
3: And then a little like kind of takeout version of like a spoon with a little napkin and salt and pepper. I am deep inside the mountain house and I cannot find the oxygen absorbing packet, which makes me a bit. There it is. I found it. I was like, you know what? I have definitely cooked these kinds of meals with the oxygen absorber in it. Uh, I don't recommend eating it. It even says on here it's got like skulls and crossbones. Do not eat.
0: I would like to know what would happen to you if you ate one because I have also cooked many of those meals without taking the oxygen pack out. So
3: <laughs> I feel like you would uh, all your oxygen would be absorbed I suppose and oh, then yeah. you would just stop breathing I'm oh, not you geez. know it could be pretty intense. Yeah that would, that would not be good. Or maybe just extreme flatulence. What does the
1: eating element look like to you? Uh <laughs> looks like little hand warmers. It
0: kinda does look like a hand warmer. Okay. I thought we were going grosser there and we didn't. <laughs> thankfully <laughs> thankfully we didn't like, go grosser wow, on that. <laughs> I don't know
3: what how you could turn that into something gross. Uh no comment. Okay, keep that one to yourself. It's not that kind of party. It's a wholesome show. It's not even my show. I've decided it's wholesome now. I actually censored myself earlier.
0: But it probably will be wholesome and if not, now it is, thanks to you saying that. Now now we're locked into being wholesome on the show. So part here of we go. your
3: brand now. Exactly. All right, chicken All right. fried rice. With vegetables.
2: vegetables. Yeah, put cold water. Yeah, vegetables. yeah, put cold water in. Let's see how that, that works. Because the idea would be you don't have a stove. Okay, so while that's going on, I'm, I've got the, uh, the trail fork pizza casserole, and I have a bowl now, so I'm emptying the contents into the bowl. Looks pretty interesting. A lot of rice in there. That looks good. Maybe just a tad more. Whoa.
3: Yeah.
2: I'll just use some of that. Yep. <laughs> It's okay. not
3: the Great British Bake Off, guys.
2: Well, that's the great thing about backpacking food in general. It's not an exact science. You kind of, you, you you tolerate a lot of ambiguity. So I have kind of a funny backpacking food story. We talked about eating backpacking food. At home, not having necessarily the same sort of enjoyment factor as it does on, you know, after two or three days of hiking on the trail. So, uh, when Joan and I were living in Seoul, Korea, I had some backpacking meals with me. They were the good to go meals. And I was doing, I was cooking the dinners. And so I prepared a dinner and we had some, I don't know, chicken breast or something. And then I used as a side this back, this uh, good to go meal of, I don't know, some kind of curry dish. The curry
3: is the best. The curry, yeah.
2: And, and I didn't tell her. So, you know, she sits down to dinner, she gets home from work, she sits down to dinner and she's looking at this and tasting and she's like, wow, this is really good. How did you make this? And I'm like, I can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Not until the meal's over. And she ate the whole thing. We both enjoyed it a lot. And at the end of the day, it was like, I had to tell her, I'm like, you just ate backpacking food. And she's like, wow, that was really good. So it can be really good.
3: That is actually one of the backpacking meals I've eaten at home more than once.
2: There
0: you go. The good
3: to go uh, yellow curry is amazing.
0: This whole chili thing with the steam and everything and the steam pouch—it's just fun to watch. It's I'm gonna just go kind open my pores. Yeah, yeah,
3: exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is, <that right? laughs> is anyone congested? Is anyone congested?
2: This would <laughs> do we uh, another story about you know, kind of like the MRI story is really what it is. When uh, Joan and I hiked the JMT, the first few days we took MRIs that. A buddy, MRE, MREs, you MREs, MRE says it. <laughs> Sorry. MRIs, MRIs are different. Well, yeah. So you brought an MRI machine <laughs> into the backcountry? <laughs> I hope you weren't wearing any metal when you... Uh... <laughs> and M, yeah, the meal ready to eat, MRE. Uh, we had a, a friend who gave us a bunch of those, and we took some on the John Muir Trail. And it was like super heavy, first of all. But they were really actually very tasty you know, you had to kind of break it open and throw out all the stuff you didn't want. But the, um, the, the meal itself was good. Now, would I ever do it again? Not a chance. It's way too heavy.
3: You know, MRI would work. It would be meals ready to ingest.
2: There you go. That's oh, what I'm always yeah, thinking. This is why right. they pay me see?
3: tens and tens of dollars as a professional yeah. writer. <laughs> All right. So my first backpacking
1: food fail is that I forgot to see what, watch what time I put it in, but I feel like it's been at least three minutes and it's supposed to be three to five minutes.
0: Yeah. So. Do we wait for it to stop steaming? Oh,
1: no, I it's feel like it's going to stop steaming. It's been
0: at least three minutes. <laughs> okay.
2: No two our listeners read the instructions (laughs) make a note of the time two things we have to we've learned here
3: You know what my favorite backpacking meal was? It was one that I didn't make. Those are always the best. I was at Vidette Meadows, and when I rolled up, there was a group of people that were weekend backpacking. They were doing the Ray Lakes Loop, and um, they saw that I just had left what was left in my bear can at that point. I was going to resupply the next day over Kearsarge Pass. I had two bars. I was going to eat one for dinner, one for breakfast. It was a sad state of affairs. They invited me to have dinner with them, and they were making gnocchi with mushrooms and parmesan and they had japanese chocolate and they gave me tortillas and they gave me whiskey um it was incredible and they made me breakfast the next morning before i hiked out Eggs awesome. and hash browns trail magic wow such trail magic
0: let's try this chili it's got to be at least it's still steaming but it's been three minutes here we go sure it is how's it looking there yeah okay good. do you need a knife Scissors. Use
3: your teeth. That's right, got it. Oh yeah. It's the multi-tool inside your mouth. You know, it reminds me very much of Trader Joe's Indian food packets. You're right. Hmm. But it was fun to watch it steam. I did
0: enjoy the steam. That was, was a nice show. Yeah.
3: Imagine you just being out there in the woods, cold, lonely. You just start steaming your food. All right. How many
2: servings are in this bag? Do we know?
3: What? <laughs>
0: One one serving.
2: Okay, so one serving.
1: One serving and 220
2: calories. Oh, so not even a lot of calories. Yeah, that's kind of a low calorie count
1: for like a a dinner. That's a
3: heavy bag, too, for that amount of calories.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Well, let's, well, should we, uh...
3: It looks like real food, which is always exciting. Like real tomato chunks. It looks
2: kind of like canned chili.
3: Which is real food. It is. Yeah, no, I'm just, (laughs) I'm not
2: saying that,
1: you know. It's lukewarm. Yeah, I would say so for all the bubbling, and we ended up doing it for five minutes after we discussed and talked about the lack of time because it was at least
3: five minutes. It was not, it's not hot for sure. Yeah, I wonder how long you could actually let it go while it's steaming like that just until it parties out, you know, and it's like done. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't,
0: it doesn't taste bad per se, but to be honest, I I would enjoy, I think I like chili mac with beef better. The Mountain House was just kind of my favorite.
3: You know what you can do, too? I have actually dehydrated. I've gotten uh, turkey chili, because I don't eat the beefs, but... um I've gotten turkey chili from or whatever it is, chicken chili. Who knows? Trader Joe's, a can of it, and I put that into my dehydrator, and I'll take that with me sometimes. Um, meat doesn't dehydrate as easily as other things, but if you're just eating it pretty soon after you dehydrate it, no big deal.
0: Sometimes if it's just an overnight. I'll just bring a can of chili too and just heat it up. You know, Rebel. I mean, it's like if it's weights not like a, if it's not like a longer trip and weights not the biggest issue. I think the chicken chick-
3: fried rice is probably ready. I it think looks it is. ready. All right. All right. All right. Who's ready to party down with some chicken? All right.
0: Hmm. I, I like this one. I like this better than I sort of anticipated I would.
3: This is good. Yeah. Okay. Would buy.
0: Yeah. I would. I would definitely do this. This is very good. Like kind of almost like a comfort food kind of feeling, right? Like you can imagine a hard cold, a cold night, like a hard yeah. day of hiking. This would be. This would be really, really uh, satisfying.
3: And I can see where that why they're calling it chicken fried rice. I mean, it's not going to be exactly like what you get in a restaurant, but it actually does have. I wonder what the ingredients are. It's got. It definitely has that vibe. In its little heart,
0: it's a little soggier than like what you would get in a restaurant. Yeah, yeah, but But, that's but but the flavor. Yeah, it's good, and it actually it has a nice texture. It's not like it's it's just sort of like a slightly soggier version of what you get at a restaurant. And the flavor is really good, and it rehydrated really well.
3: Yeah, it has oyster sauce in it. That's what's taking it oyster sauce, soy sauce, are kind of creating that fried rice vibe. And I do think it's nice to have meals like this that cook a little quicker like that because a lot of them, yeah, you're out there forever. And that's fine if you don't mind waiting or you're setting up. I'll usually, if I'm making something like this, I'll get the water going, pour it in, and then set up camp afterwards. But let it kind of steep. But it is nice sometimes just to have something ready to roll.
0: Good job on that one. Yeah, I like that one. That's a a keeper. That's
2: on the list now.
3: Yeah. Thank you. I cooked it myself. Chicken
2: fried rice. Yeah.
3: (laughs) I poured that hot water in there myself. Barely.
2: All right, so what do we have here? This is the pizza. Pizza It looks more like pizza soup right now. So I don't know if I got the, the water measurements a little bit off. Oh Wow. But if you look at it, it looks kind of like chili, actually.
3: So it's really just reframing how you see it.
2: Exactly. Maybe that's the pizza flavor in the form of a, let's see.
3: I'm calling, that, it, I'm calling it calling. That chilly. looks
2: nothing like pizza.
0: That is the least looking like... The fried rice one looked more like pizza than that looks like
2: pizza. Okay, here, hand me one of these little dishes here. We'll we do uh, some of this out.
1: I'm hoping that this is one of those situations where we're all going to be like,
3: Whoa, that's crazy. It tastes just like pizza. Wait, where did you discover how long to cook it for on here? Oh, where it says instructions. <laughs> <laughs> it's in tiny writing in my defense. Right after put it in a bowl. All
0: right, I'm going in.
3: Okay, that's
0: wow that's really not good
3: oh no that's all that's all for me jeff <laughs> just one bite please
0: I, was, I mean it didn't rehydrate all the way the flavor is just just there's no
2: pizza you're not you're not getting in any of the pizza i'm not really
0: getting oh yeah pizza. it's
3: still crunchy
2: it's crunchy oh that's that's disappointing so I, maybe a fail on our part for yeah not rehydrating it properly but
0: but I will say, like, I
2: was kind of hoping
0: for a pizza experience. And even I think if we had rehydrated it, I just based on the flavor and the look and the whatever, I I don't think I'm getting like a pizza ex- experience.
3: I'm getting it on the back end, like on the back part of my tongue.
0: Oh,
3: <laughs> you have to eat it regionally.
0: OK, um, <laughs> but
3: what did it see... taste like on the
0: front of your tongue?
3: Not much, but I okay. think in the back of the tongue, I'm getting a little bit of like like an oregano filled crust. Okay, that's the part of the pizza I'm getting. Not the rest of the pizza, just that little y- part.
2: Y- you have a very vivid imagination. Thank show you. Thank you.
3: <laughs> you
1: now there's some sort of seasoning in there that's like trying to be like pizza seasoning.
3: It's like the Lacroix of pizzas. It's like like a pizza belched in its vicinity and just laid like a light aromatic vibe on top of this. Undercooked stuff.
0: It's like a pizza kombucha.
3: Mm. it sort of tastes like the
0: burp flavor of whatever it's supposed to be
3: <laughs>
2: oh man well I wish uh, I could give it back we might have to revisit this sometime in the future and yeah. give it another shot give, give but, it a better try but right now it's we're all giving it a thumbs down
0: yeah thumbs down on that one big thumbs up on the fried rice yeah and I think that the turkey chili was okay but I, I think there's a better ways there's other chilies and chili flavors it's, it's not bad but I would probably choose other things before I would do it
2: yeah so I think Chicken fried rice came out yep. on top. Yep. Winner, winner. winner, winner, chicken, chicken fried rice oh. dinner! <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everyone. This is Severia one of the co-hosts of the Almost Their Adventure podcast, which you're listening to, and the founder of Adventurous Women. We are really excited to be bringing you these episodes for the month of March, featuring amazing women doing extraordinary things. And on that note, we would love to invite you to one of the Adventurous Women Escapes. They are all-inclusive outdoor weekends for women, and they include everything, lodging, food, activities, and just a great way to get together with a bunch of other women in the outdoors. And we are offering for being a listener, $200 off using the code "almost there 200 the number is 200 almost there, 200 uh, to get $200 off the escapes and we'd love to see you there you can find out more information at our website adventurouswomen.com and that is A-D-V-E-N-T-U-R-U-S women.com hope to see you there and thanks for listening
2: so Shanti, thank you so much for being a part of our podcast and If people want to learn a little bit more about you and your work, where where can they
3: find that? On the internet, Jeff. Um, (laughs) Google. Google. Google (laughs) Google my very hard to spell name. Um, So I do have a website, which is my first and last name, shantesalabert.com. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter, uh, spouting nonsense. Um, So yeah, I'm there. And you can see a list of the things I've written on my website as well.
2: Awesome. We'll put a link to those in our show notes as well. So thank you so much. And we look forward to your future writings and future adventures.
3: Thank you so much. It's been awesome being here with all of you.
0: All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Thanks for listening to the Almost There Adventure podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at there underscore AP, or of course, find us on Facebook and other social media places. Almost There, our, our title music was performed by Opus Orange and is provided to us courtesy of Emoto Music. And if you want to follow us individually, you can follow Severia at adventure us women that's adventure us women you can follow jeff at the socal hiker and you can follow me at the mirror project make sure to tune into our next episode which is the fourth in our weekly series of celebrating women's history month where we're going to interview jen schism the founder of good to go foods and then afterwards we do a taste test of a bunch of her foods with our good friend casey schreiner so make sure to check it out and thanks again for listening